Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you uh, Monday morning. Hopefully you're getting your week off to a great start. Hopefully you're focused and fixed on the things that need to get done in order for you to have and experience the things you desire to experience. Uh, I want to uh, touch bases with you today and leave you with something that I hope inspires, empowers, and encourages you. I'm going to make it real quick. Before I do, I just want to let you know that uh, Rick Wallace Enterprises and all its subsidiaries, which includes the Visionetics Institute, Master Fitness 21, the Odyssey Project, and more, has partnered with Linktree to create a, uh, an, uh, an opportunity where you can have access to all of our resources. Well, all of our top resources. We're consistently adding new ones. But all of our top resources by clicking one link. If you go in now and click the link, it will open up an opportunity if you see all the things that we have to offer that you can experience in a number of different ways. So definitely check that link out. If you're looking for something exciting, something encouraging, something uh, empowering, uh, something to get into and get involved in, whatever the situation, click that link. It's there. Uh, let's talk about what happens when you finally learn that faith transcends facts. What I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, initiate this brief monologue uh, with a post that a uh, an adopted little sister, so to speak, on uh, a social media platform that I've known for years um, uh, posted. And then I'm going to give you my reply to it and then i'm going to briefly summate it and then we'll be done today and hopefully you'll have something that you can work with run with fight with and win with it starts out uh quotation you will rise above every disappointment every trial every setback every failure every obstacle and anything else that attempts to keep you down in this day and by extension this week the seasons of self-pity, shame, rejection, missed opportunities, embarrassment, insufficiency, defeat, and failure will no longer be your portion. They have all been replaced with a spirit of resilience, patience, success, and more than enough. Lift your head up, my friend, and know that this is not the end. There's a greater spirit that resides within you. Show them what you are really made of. Get back into the ring of life and make it happen. For Emmanuel, God with us and in us, is with you. And then she, uh, well, she's actually quoting someone else who quoted, uh, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee in with mine eye. Psalm 32 and 8, that is definitely the King James Version. You are a winner even before they declared you the winner. With God, all things are possible to those who, that would only believe divine inspiration from Kevin L.A. Ewing from 2017. And she says, definitely relevant. And my response was yes. And then I quoted Job 22 and 28, you shall declare a thing and it shall be established for you. So, so light will shine on your ways. Sometimes you have to be able to speak it with, this is me talking. Sometimes you have to be able to speak it with conviction, even when every shred of evidence is contrary to the declaration. Why? 
because my friend, faith literally transcend, transcends facts. Now raise your head, I mean, raise your hand in victory and declare, I'm built for this. One of the things you have to learn, and I say this all the time and people get confused by it. I say faith transcends facts because what happens is we live in a world and the moment that we start to be introduced into reality and perception, they reduce life and life's experience to opinion and fact. It's either an opinion or it's a fact. Well, opinions are how someone may feel based on facts. Facts are simply the verifiable representations of what's in front of you. But there's another thing. That thing is faith, and faith transcends facts. Faith is that thing that says, you've been told this. How many times have I seen it with my own eyes and experiences? And I'm not talking about some mystical ideology or some mystical concept. I'm talking about the execution of faith in a way that it permeates throughout your spirit, throughout your mind, throughout your emotions, throughout your physical being to where when the doctor sit up and said, there's absolutely no hope, there's absolutely no way that this is going to, you're going to overcome this. We give you and they give you their prognosis of how much time you have left. And all of a sudden, someone's looking up and you're six years past that prognosis and nobody can explain it. See, faith transcends facts. When somebody sits up and says, you're never going to recover from the devastation of this financial collapse, but you look up and five years down the line, you're rebuilding in a way that's unbelievably exceptional and nobody can explain how it's being done. It's because faith transcends facts. Faith is not some mystical, magical potion. Faith is an ideology that transcends the constricts of what the facts may say. See, the facts will tell you, hey, this is all that can ever be done. See, if Arbel and Wilbur Wright would have ever conceded to the facts, we wouldn't have airplanes. If Edison would have conceded to facts, we wouldn't have the light bulb. If if Alexander Graham Bell would have conceded to facts, we wouldn't have the telephone. If the person who invented the cellular phone would have conceded to the facts, there's no way that you can transmit sound without wires. Then we wouldn't have the cell phone and then ultimately satellite phone and then all of the other ways that we are communicating. In fact, you would not be able to watch this video if someone would have conceded to the facts. See, the facts simply present a current idea of what's in front of you. Your faith has the ability through the imagination to create things that do not exist. You can call things that are not as though they were. One of the reasons why we don't have a great deal of physical healing by way of self-healing in America is because we've been given the facts that we need medication, that we need surgery. I'm not telling anybody not to get surgery, not telling anybody not to take your medications. What I'm telling you is I've had the uh, pleasure of traveling around the world in places where the mind isn't as constricted and you can watch some unbelievable stuff happen that people in America wouldn't even believe because what? We've been told it's impossible. We've been tied to something and that's the only thing and the only way we think that we can achieve it. If we can't achieve it that way, we buy into the idea that it's impossible for us. So we accept our current fate. I personally sit up and watch my great grandfather at the age of 78 have me call back in from Canada. At the time I was 20, 21. And come back in because things, uh, Things were dire. My grandmother called me and said, you need to get to town quick, as quick as possible. So I, I fly in and I go straight to the hospital and she introduces me to uh, his specialist. And the, 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 the guy tells me 
you know, that my uh, grandfather has acute leukemia and he's had it for a while. He's in stage four. Uh, it's it's extreme and he doesn't give him any more than two years to live. And 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 I'm looking at my grandmother. She's distraught. They've got my grandfather somewhat sedated. And the doctor tells my grandmother that what we can do is we can keep him sedated. so he doesn't uh, experience a great deal of pain. And, you know, he'll pass peacefully in his sleep. And my grandma said, I don't think that's right. I think he deserves. I don't think he deserves um, to sit there and not be notified. And so I say I agree. I think that whatever he has going on, I think he has a right to reconcile anything he may need to reconcile before this is over. So you need to tell him what you just told us. Well, we go in and my grandfather, I've told you this before, my great grandfather who adopted and reared me, um, he had a second grade education. Uh, he was working in the fields with his father from the seventh, when he was seven years old until he became a grown man. And then he went out and did work, work some more. He, didn't get a chance to complete, but it, it, immensely wise, immensely powerful man of faith. And the doctors walk in, walked in and they woke him up and he told him what he told us. And my grandfather's response was, and this is just pure, unadulterated, old fashioned faith, not connected to religion, not connected to anything, but I am disconnected to God. And this is what I believe type faith. He looks at the doctor and says, doctor, you went to school. Uh, for a whole lot of years to learn everything you've learned to tell me what you just told me. And I respect that. He says, and I don't have a whole lot of schooling, but this is what I can tell you. I'm not leaving here in two weeks. Matter of fact, I'm going to be able to get healthy enough that I'm going to walk out of this hospital and I'm going to walk back into a church and I'm going to give God thanks for what, what he just did based off of my faith. He did that about eight times to that same doctor over a course of five years. To the point at the eighth time, the doctor called me to the side and said, I've become convinced that your father isn't dying until he's ready. And second of all, that same doctor says, while I'm not uh, into Christianity, the one thing that your grandfather has definitely convinced me of, there is a God. And I remember going through that experience as one of the most terrible experiences. And it was one of the times I was at odds with God because the one thing my grandfather prayed for consistently over the course of his life as he served and did everything he did in the community and the church and so much more was that when it was time for him to go, that he would just go quietly and quickly and not suffer. But yeah, he, were, he was here suffering. But see, it wasn't about him. It was about me. It was about that doctor. And it was about a bunch of other people that were watching the man simply sit up and say, I'm not going anywhere yet. And literally in that mindset, cast away the illness in a way that could not be explained medically and walk out and for a period of time be whole and healthy. And yes, that was this thing that came back. And we could get into that another time that eventually he succumbed to it. But he, he succumbed to it five years from the point that he was supposed to be gone. I mean, we're talking about if you would have saw my grandfather, you would have believed everything that doctor said. He had swollen up three times his size. He had sores in his mouth, sores on his feet. He couldn't, could barely talk because of the sores in his mouth. It was, it was a horrible thing to see. 
But in the midst of all of that, he simply spoke. And it became like, 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 like it said, like Joe said, you shall declare a thing and it shall be established for you. There's something about speaking it and it doesn't require that you see the evidence of the thing you're speaking. Do you get what I'm saying? There's something about being able to speak things that are not as though they were and then stand on it, walk on it, believe it until it manifests itself. Things manifest outside of the world that you see them in. The problem is we've given so much gravity to facts that we become constricted by the facts and then we begin to live within the boundaries of the facts and we never ever truly determine that we're going to actually step out and walk by faith because faith transcends facts. It's not within the confines of the facts that you that you walk into greatness. It's not in the confines of the facts that you create an exceptional and remarkable business. It's not within the confines of the facts that you create an exceptional and unbelievable relationship or marriage. It is not within the confines of the facts that you sit up and you end up being someone that people speak of long after you're gone. Your legacy is not built within the confines of the facts. Your legacy is built within the within the unbelievable power and force of your faith. You have to be willing to see things beyond what is being expressed. There has to be something inside of your spirit that disagrees with your circumstances. There has to be something that you can sit up and say, I'm not standing in this. I'm not accepting. I'm not receiving. It's a casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, into obedience. There's something that's got to be greater in you than the moment. Faith transcends facts. When you see somebody walking in greatness, they decided they wouldn't be held down by the facts. When you see somebody living a life that seems beyond what's possible for you, it's because they decided to transcend their reality. I'm not talking about people born with silver spoons in their mouth. I'm talking about people who came from the same background as you, but decided not to be tethered by it. I'm talking about people who came from hurt and pain, from abuse and neglect from poverty that decided that that would not be their lot in life and spoke something that they could not see as if they've already lived it and then began to walk in it. I'm talking about there's something about guarding your self-talk. See, if it would have been, if I would have remained confined to the facts I wouldn't be sitting in front of you right now. If I would remain confined to the facts, I may not have made it past my 18th birthday. If I would remain confined to the facts, I definitely wouldn't have 24 books published in 25, number 25 on deck. If I would have been confined to, I wouldn't have more than 46 companies started over the course of 30 years that all turned profit. Why? Because I refuse to be held back by the facts. I refuse to let negative circumstances shake the ground of my faith. I had to learn how to walk in in, in diametric opposition to negative perceived realities. I see the circumstances, 
but there's something inside my spirit that simply disagrees with them. I don't have to accept it if I don't want to receive it. I have the ability to cast it down. Some of the old heads will say rebuke it. But I have an ability to sit up and say, no, I don't receive it. I may have to go through it, but I don't have to accept it. See, it's not going through the storm. That's the problem. It's accepting the tenets of the storm as your reality. See, when you start accepting the tenets of the storm, your pain then is transformed to suffering. When you decide that you're going to identify with poverty, that's when you begin to suffer. When you're going to identify with the abuse that you've undergone, that's when you are now suffering. When you're going to identify with being in a position of marginal marginalism, that's when you begin to suffer because it's in that particular place that you have accepted that it becomes your lot in life. And now you have no hope. You see no future outside of that reality. And now you suffer in something that you'd have no desire to be in, but you can go through something that you have no desire to be in, but you're not accepting it. There's no suffering in that. Why? Because there's a greater image in your mind of what's coming. I can make it through this moment because this isn't the end of the story. I can go through this darkness because I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You got to learn how to walk in faith. And again, I'm not talking from a religious standpoint. I'm talking action. I'm talking believing something so strongly that you start to move toward it before you see it. You start to take steps that begin to illuminate the path. Your path will never be illuminated until you take the first step. That's one of the reasons I created the Make a Move live event, just to get people to take the first step. Do you realize how much is held back from you while you're sitting there procrastinating, waiting on the perfect moment, waiting on the perfect timing, waiting on the perfect opportunity, looking things over and over again, trying to make the perfect decision. There are no perfect decisions. You're not going to be right every time. There's no perfect timing. There's always going to be something going on that you need to focus on that can have your attention. There's no such thing as as, as doing, you know, having everything right. And all. you've got to make a decision to move. The perfect timing is the very moment that you you discover that it needs to be done. That's when you decide to make a move. You get something started immediately. You commit yourself to it. You get into it and you get invested in it. Then you start to move and adjust as you learn, as you move. But what I'm going to tell you is when you make that first state, uh, we make that first step. That's something that God has put in the universe that simply begins to illuminate things and then creates um creates this this unbelievable path and illumination. I call it the gate of providence. So much is held back until you move. You can't, that's so much you will never understand or see or know until you take the step. That's why so many people are stuck in places that they've wanted to leave for so long is because they won't take the first step because they need to see the whole picture first. Sometimes you got to take the step to open the gate. You ever been walking up to one of those automatic gates or, or or driving up to an automatic gate and you stop too soon? 
and the gate doesn't open, you you got to get right at the gate before the gate opens. That's that first step. You got to get close enough to tell the gate that you're actually going to move through it. And you're not just passing by it. Faith transcends facts. Uh, hold on. There, there's a question. Let me see. Let me read it. Uh, Amir, um, by the way, I did respond concerning your sister. So definitely, uh, get back to me on that, but I'm going to put this up here because I want people to see this because this is one of the most misconceived ideas and notions in religion, not in true relationship, but I'm going to read it. Says, is it wrong to be angry with God? Because sometimes I am about three years ago, uh, my God brother was killed. And ever since then, my mom has been so grief stricken that all she talks about is dying. There are some times if everybody is honest, like I just told you about a time I was at odds with God when my grandfather was going through that five year, um, going through that five year uh, situation with um, leukemia because my grandfather had prayed to God his whole life, not to suffer. And it, and it had meaning because my grandfather was the president uh, at the church of, of, of a bunch of things. He was the president of the Ursher board. He was president of the deacon board, but he's also president of the sick and shedding ministry. And the, for the old heads, you know what I'm talking about. For people who don't haven't, wasn't church, didn't grow up in the church. The sick and shedding ministry is for people who go out and visit people who are members of the church who have become ill and bedridden are, are and otherwise incapacitated and can't get to the church. You go by, you pray with them, you minister to them, whatever you, and, and, and whatever. My grandfather did that. He was the president. So he would go by and he would literally, by the time it was over, he would do this on Sundays after church. And by the time it was over, he would be in the car and he would literally be uh, in tears and we we're on the way home and he would just be praying. And I would, daddy, what's wrong? He said, I just pray that I never have to be in that situation where, where, where I'm suffering. I just want God to take me. Let it be a car accident. Let it be a heart attack. I just want it to be quick. And he was suffering. I mean, a person that if you look at it, he served the church in every way. He was everything for the church. Like I said, from the president of the Ursher board, the deacon board, sick and shed in ministry. He was the church janitor. He cut the darn grass every week. We were at the church seven freaking days a week, my whole childhood. That's how much he gave to it. And all he asked God for was not to let him suffer. And he was suffering. So I was angry with God. And if you go through and you actually want to study even the Bible, you'll find that people were upset and angry with God, had questions. David stood up and told God on more than one occasion, I can't praise you from the grave. What are you What are you doing? And, and see, we were taught never to question God, but see, you can't have a relationship where you can't have questions. You can't have a relationship where you can't express your true feelings because God knows them anyway, and you can't suppress them. Uh, I was reading one of a guy that I really admire a lot, Jason Wilson, uh, and he has a couple of books. And in one of his books, that's his part that says emotions are like ping pong balls underwater. No matter how hard you try, eventually one's going to pop up and many times it's going to pop up uncontrollably and in a way that you don't have a way of easily managing it. 
And so emotions are not something you can sit up and say, well, you know, no. And we, we've been told not to question, not to, you, you, you got to feel what you feel or you got to work it out. But it's going to be hard to work anything out with God when you're pretending like you don't feel something you feel. That's how relationships fall apart in, in, in with, with human experiences. I'm over here pretending I'm okay, but I'm not. But I won't say anything because that I'm not in, in, in something has told me through society that I shouldn't be upset, that I shouldn't be bothered by it. That, so I'm just going to sit here and pretend I'm not. That's called internalizing. And eventually it leads to bad things. You see, internalizing leads to uh, chronic stress. It leads to bad health condition. It leads to um, uh, attacks on your organs. Uh, because when you are internalizing stuff like that and you're building stress, you're releasing cortisol into your bloodstream. And cortisol over long periods of time is very toxic to the body. It's meant for immediate responses to uh, fight or flight situations where you need to fight or run. It's not meant for you to sit up and and, and 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 go through the things that you uh you know you're sitting up there and you're going oh my god oh my god and you're you're there but you, you got to be honest with yourself you got to sit up and say hey i'm not feeling this right you got to be able to talk to god see so many people have put put the wrong type of fear there are a lot of times in the bible you got to understand when you're doing that if you if you're coming from a biblical perspective you got to understand a lot of times when it says fear of God, it doesn't mean fear. It actually means reverence. And when you take it, you know, I wouldn't want to be honest. I'm just serious. I can't be in a relationship with someone I fear. Now, I, there's a certain level of reverence that you need to have, a certain level of respect, a certain level of awe. But see, if someone has my best interest at heart, why in the world would I fear them? If something is the source of my fortunate or my fortune or my blessings or however you want to word it, whatever word works for you. If that that's my source, why would I fear it? Now I should have an appreciation for it. I should have a sense of reverence and respect for it. I should have a sense of love and connectivity, but you know, one of the reasons we have so many problems relationally is because in most religions, God is seen as a father, especially in Christianity and Judaism and, 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 and also in Islam, uh, the Abrahamic faiths. God is seen as a father within who is, wants to fear the father. The father isn't supposed to be feared, admired, loved, uh, and, above, and, and some other things, but feared isn't something a part of a filial relationship. You fear your enemies. You fear situations that are intended to bring you harm. But that's not the relationship with God. But to answer your question, young sister, it's it, it, you don't want to be in a place where you're angry with God, but you got to work that out. You, you, you don't need to be guilty about it, but you need to work it out. You got to ask yourself why you got to find somewhere you probably need to work with someone who can give it some sense and make it work. You need to find a spiritual counselor who has an understanding of psychology because you don't need the mystics, the mysticism. You need to understand the spiritual connectivity with God, but you also need to understand how your mind is working and where that anger is coming from, how you process that anger, how you how you heal that. Because if you don't heal that, then it becomes callous. 
And then everything becomes God's fault. And we lose sight of our own responsibility. Yep, it definitely sounds like your mom needs grief counseling. Um, definitely. That definitely sounds like something that uh, your mom needs. And um, again, reach out to me on that. We may be able to work something out as far as that goes. But definitely, that's something else that we really have to work on as a people is the understanding that we weren't meant to go through these challenges in life alone. Uh, There's so many things that we have been taught and so many ideas and concepts and stigmas around certain things that we don't seek the help we need. We we sit up and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm go to the rock. Well, you know, everybody has someone they can confide in. Everybody has someone they can lean on. And there are times that there needs to be some wisdom, some experience and some insight into the problem. You know, that best friend may be able to say, I love you. I'm here with you. But they can't help you understand, or learn how to cope with it. So it's consistently in a thorn in your side. And you've got to learn how to remove the thorn and allow the festering to heal. And that's what's important. You need professional help sometimes. That's nothing wrong with that. So that's my advice on that. Again. There's absolutely nothing you're going to face in this life, nothing you're going to face in this world that you don't have the capacity to go through. You have to understand that life isn't going to lay down for you, but you can't lay down for it either. It's in the moving through the adversity that strength is built and unbelievable things are accomplished and life is experienced. Never, ever buy into the idea that suffering is your lot in life. And that's a dangerous place to be. And I'm, I'm going to leave it there. But when you buy into that, it's a tenant and an idea that makes people give up. Because if I convince somebody that something is their lot in life, they'll stop trying to overcome it. And eventually they'll embrace it. And then they'll live their life in defeat. Sometimes you're waging a war for what seems like an eternity. But in the waging of the war, you're growing stronger. You're becoming wiser. You're becoming more impactful. Someone's watching you as you go through it. And they're going, oh, my God. How many times were they supposed to be out of the game and they're still in it? That's something special about that person. That's something awesome about that person. That's something spectacular about the way they think, about the way they feel, about the way they move. Life is constantly coming at them. I don't know what's wrong with life or what they did, maybe, but they refuse to quit. See, that's a testimony. I folded and accepted it. It's not a testimony. On that note, look, I'm going to get ready to get out of here. As I say so often, I live my life on full. And trust me, that life has not come without challenges. I have challenges on the deck right now, but I refuse to fold. I refuse to surrender my joy. I refuse to surrender my hope. I refuse to surrender my high expectations. 
I refuse to lay down and go, oh, woe is me. Hmm. I'm going to bring the pain. You got to have something in you that just simply sits up and says, I refuse to accept anything less than what it is I desire. I was just telling somebody earlier that one of my favorite movie lines is from the movie uh, Men of Honor. Uh, Robert De Niro and Cuba Gooding Jr., which is based on a true story. And, uh, Joe, which is Carl's wife, she says, why do you want this so bad? And his response was, because they said I couldn't have it. There's some things I've done in this life simply because somebody said I couldn't. Matter of fact, that was a time in my life. You want to see me do something? Tell me I can't. It, 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 it was that chip on the shoulder that life wasn't going to take anything from me that I wanted. No matter what. And you've got to have that type of tenacity to win in this life. It's not going to lay down for you. On that note, I'm going to get ready to get out of here. Don't forget, we've linked up and partnered with Linktree. So if you are looking for some resources to bless you in a number of different ways to empower you, inspire you to, to become a part of something, click the link in the bottom of that description box. It's the only link in there. Click it and go and explore some of our top resources and uh, programs that you can get involved with, a bunch of other things. But definitely make a move to make your life better. No one has that responsibility but you. On that note, I'm out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day.